We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Once the foundation for marriage is made clear out of Genesis chapter 1, it's good to move on to Ephesians for the practical application of it all, which is what we'll do next on our series, What is a Godly Marriage? Here on Abounding Grace. Genesis chapter 1 is always a great place to start if you venture into a series on marriage. And that's precisely what we did at the beginning of the week. Well, now it's time to move into Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 33. It's here that we have some practical guidelines, and we have that foundation reaffirmed as we see the mystery of Christ in marriage. Won't you join us? From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Gary Wagner, again in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 33, on this edition of Abounding Grace. Now I hope I make the point to you today adequately that your marriage can be normal. Even if thus far it has been an empty shell, or if it has thus far been a battlefield, you can have a normal Christian marriage the rest of your life. Now, what do I mean by normal? Well, I mean three things. Normal in a dictionary means conforming to a usual or typical pattern. And the synonyms for normal are regular, standard, natural, or typical. So that my sermon is on, is on how to have a normal, usual, regular, typical, truly Christian marriage. Even if it will never be a perfect marriage. And you will probably have some rough days and some rocky places. The second thing I mean by normal is normal in contrast to abnormal. And by abnormal, I mean deviant. The culture in which we live, being anti-Christian, is abnormal. It is deviant. Christians are all in the process of being made normal again by God, even though we still have some abnormal maladies. Adam and Eve, before the fall, were normal. Everyone ever since then has been abnormal. And it is Christ who is working in our hearts to make us and our marriages normal. Christians are being made normal, and everyone else, beloved, is abnormal. That is deviant. Third, by normal I mean conforming to the standard, or the model, or the pattern. So that a normal marriage is one that is basically and generally in conformity to the model and the pattern for marriage revealed by God in the Bible. Not perfect, just normal. 
More specifically, a normal Christian marriage is one that conforms to the pattern set forth in the passage of Scripture that John read earlier from the fifth chapter of Ephesians. If you want to have a normal marriage and one pleasing to God, there is the model in Ephesians chapter 5. But before we go on to look at the model, we must ask ourselves the question, where do we get the strength and motivation to bring our marriages in conformity to this pattern found in Ephesians chapter 5? Because you know what? We have developed various habitual ways of dealing with each other that are abnormal through the years of our marriage. And we are pretty much set in concrete in these abnormal ways of treating each other in marriage. So the question is, how do we break the concrete? How do we change the response so that it is a normal response, a biblical response, that a husband makes to his wife and a wife to her husband? That's why we started our text today not in the 22nd verse, which talks about wives being submissive to your husbands, but why we began with the 18th verse, which talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then contrasting what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit with drunkenness. You see, that's the answer to our question. Where do you get the strength to break the old habits that have been set in concrete and then to work toward having a normal marriage. You get it in the filling of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Christian marriages presuppose that both the husband and the wife are filled with the Holy Spirit, because no one, no one can possibly do what God commands them to do in our text unless they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Very simply. It is, to, it is the work of God's Spirit in the heart of the believer, enabling him or her to be able to do what is pleasing to God. That's what the filling of the Holy Spirit is. The filling of the Spirit is that work of God by His Spirit in your heart as a believing man or woman, which work enables you to be and do what God calls you to do, and to do what is pleasing to him as a man, as a woman, as a husband, and as a wife. And since it is contrasted with drunkenness, we can learn a great deal about what the Spirit-filled life is like. As over against a drunk who has lost control of himself, the Spirit-filled life is a controlled or ordered and disciplined life. As over against a drunk, which is destructive of life, the spirit-filled life is productive. It is not wasteful. As over against a drunk who is most usually depressed and paralyzed by his drunkenness, the spirit-filled life is stimulating and exhilarating. It is a life filled with joy that enables a person to be joyful even in the midst of his trials. When we see the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit, rejoicing in the Lord, we see the life of someone filled with the Spirit as a life of praise and a life of gratitude to God. 
so that a spirit-filled person is someone who always finds something to praise God for, even in her husband, even in his wife. They find something to praise God for in everything in their life. The spirit-filled life is a social life. It is a friendly life. Spirit-filled people love one another. They love each other's company, and they love to minister to each other. And it is in that spirit-filled life that you find the power to have a normal life with your spouse. Without the filling of the Spirit, you will never have what it takes to be the kind of spouse your husband or your wife needs. So how are we to be filled with the Holy Spirit? First of all, I would like you to notice the tense of the verb here. It is a present tense verb. In Greek, when a verb is in the present tense, it denotes continuous action. And the point is, you don't just ask one time to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's it. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit, and I'll live on a full tank for the rest of my life. That's not how it is. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a constant, permanent condition. It's like standing under a waterfall. It is something that never ends. You're always praying, not fill me with the Spirit once, but Lord, keep filling me with your Spirit. And understand that the Holy Spirit with whom we are to be filled is not merely an influence or a fluid that fills us up. He is a living person. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with a person. And what is it to be filled with a person? It is to be possessed by that person. It is to come under the dominating influence of that person. And understand to be filled with the Holy Spirit is a divine command. Beloved, God commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that is important, because today in many circles within Protestantism, the filling of the Spirit is an experience to be sought, some emotional crisis to experience. But the filling of the Spirit is a condition of obedience in which we are to live constantly. When God says, be filled with the Spirit, it is a command. And no matter what we experience, And no matter how we feel, we are to say, oh, yes, Lord, we will be filled with the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is not a passive thing that happens to you. It is a choice that you make. If you are going to continue to be filled with the Spirit, we must, says Paul in Ephesians 4.30, not grieve the Holy Spirit. If we let other things control us besides the Spirit, if we allow sinful lusts and our sinful passions and drives and attitudes control us, then we are, under the in, we are not under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and you are grieving the Holy Spirit. And we must realize that the Holy Spirit already lives in us as believers, he was there when we were born again, and He stays until he, we are resurrected from the grave. But more than that, 
We must desire His presence and we must desire His work within us and we must desire His fellowship. In other words, the filling of the Holy Spirit comes as we desire to be controlled by Him. And if there is that consuming desire to be led and influenced by the Holy Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will be manifested in us and through us, and we will have a normal marriage. There's an interesting parallel passage to Ephesians 5:18 through 21, and that is in Colossians 3:16 and 17. And it's parallel in that both talk about something that brings about certain effects, and effects are the same. Notice in Ephesians 5, it says in verse 18, If you're filled with the Spirit, then you will speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of God. Now turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, and whatever you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands, etc. So you see... If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there are certain results that take place in your life. And if you are filled with the Word of God, those results will happen. So, there is a point to be made here. And that is that the Spirit-filled Christian is a Word-filled Christian. And the Word-filled Christian is the Spirit-filled Christian. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit along with all of his resources that enable you to be a faithful man and a faithful woman? Then fill your life with the Word of God. You know, I I love what Sir Walter Scott said as he was dying to his wife. He said, bring me the book. Now, I've visited his home. And I've been in his library of thousands of books. His library is two stories high with a balcony all around the top level. And on top of that, Sir Walter Scott wrote around 53 books himself. So his wife said to him, which book? And he, of course, said, there is Only one book, the Bible, that was on his deathbed. That is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that your attitude toward the Word of God? To be filled with the Word of God is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Now to the norm and the model and the pattern for marriage. The pattern for your marriage is the relationship of Jesus Christ to his church. And if your marriage is a living picture of that relationship, 
and of the intimate union between Christ the bridegroom and the church his bride, then you will have a normal marriage. Ephesians 5.32 says, "This, This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and his church. You see, the focus in Ephesians 5.22-33 is not marriage. It is Christ himself. And that must be the focus of the man and the woman in marriage. Because the pattern is his or her relationship with Christ. The husband's role in marriage is to picture the love and the work of Christ for his church. He is the head of the home as Christ is the head of the church. He is to be the savior of the home as Christ is the savior of the church. He is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. He is to devote himself sacrificially to the benefit and well-being of his wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He is responsible for his wife's sanctification and her growth in grace as Christ is the sanctification of his bride, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He is to assist his wife throughout her entire life, praying that he would be used by God to make her increasingly holy and blameless just as Christ is constantly working in his church by his spirit, so that when he comes again for her, she will stand by his side without spot and without wrinkle or any such thing. The husband is to nourish and cherish his wife as Christ nourishes and cherishes his church. The husband is to recognize that the intimacy he and his wife share is a picture of the intimacy Christians share with Christ as members of his own body. And therefore, Paul concludes by saying, therefore, each husband is to love his own wife even as himself. On the other hand, the wife's role in marriage is to picture the love and submission of the church to Jesus Christ. She is to submit to her own husband as to the Lord, as an expression of her loving submission to Jesus Christ, her Lord and Savior. As the text says, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. She is to submit gladly and wholeheartedly to her husband and to his headship and leadership and to his efforts to assist her in becoming increasingly holy and blameless as the believer submits to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his sanctifying work within him. The wife is to submit her will to her husband's will in Christ as the believer submits his will to be governed by the word of Christ. She is to be grateful for the sacrificial Christ-like love of her husband for her as the believer is grateful for Christ's sacrificial love for him or her. She is to find, she is to find deep heart satisfaction and fulfillment in being able to stand before him as his helpmeet and with him as his, as her lover and friend as the church will be for Christ and stand with him as his perfected bride on the last day. She is to recognize and appreciate the intimacy she has with her husband, with whom she is one flesh, 
as the church is one with Christ. Then Paul concludes with this exhortation. Wives, see to it that you reverence your husband as the church reverences Christ. Now let's look a little more deeply at each one of these roles, more specifically this week with wives, although we will touch on husbands. And then husbands, be ready, come back next week, because it'll all be about you. The role of the wife can be summarized in two words, a submissive helper. It is not just preachers that have divine callings, beloved. You know, people talk about young men being called into the ministry. But God has a calling for everyone whom he has chosen to be his own. Some men are called to be truck drivers. Some men are called to be doctors. Some people are called to be plumbers, etc. And when you are married, it is God who calls you as a husband or a wife. It is a calling, my friends. It is God who calls you to this. And it is just as real as a call into the ministry or whatever it may be. God calls you to be the loving, supportive, assisting, encouraging, submitting, completing helper to your husband. And this text says a great deal about the nature of that submission and what it means and how you're supposed to do it. In fact, twice in our text, wives are directed by God to be submissive to their husbands. Notice first in verse 22, it says, Wives, be subject or submit unto your own husband as unto the Lord. And in verse 24, it says, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Now, what does the Greek word for submit mean? It means to place under, to subordinate, to subject oneself. Submission, then, in the biblical sense of the word, involves the surrender of your will as a wife to be regulated by the will of another person that is your husband. Now, whatever you do, don't water down or dilute the meaning of the word submission simply because of the pressure of this anti-Christian culture. Ultimately, all Christians have surrendered their wills to be regulated totally and exclusively by the revealed will of God in Scripture. And to say that a woman is to subject herself and submit herself, surrender her will in some measure, as we'll see in a minute, to be regulated by her husband's will, there is, you, there is nothing unique about that in God's social order. In all human relationships, there is that kind of submission in some measure or another. Employers have to submit and surrender their will to their employer in their work environment, at least in most areas. Students must surrender to their, to the, the will of their teachers and administrators. Children must surrender to their parents, citizens to the state, wives to their husbands, husbands to Christ. And it is in this broader context that what we must see that there is nothing unique or extraordinary about what God commands of a wife to give in submission to her husband. 
Now understand that the submission of one human being to another may never be total and unqualified as our submission to Christ must be. When Christ calls us to submit our wills to him, it is without qualification. It is an absolute totalitarian demand. There is no part of your will that you may keep for yourself at all. You must do what Jesus Christ says, regardless of the consequences or regardless of what he commands of you. And that is Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. As we close out our time today, I'd leave you with our address, phone number, and our website. We'd love to hear from you. It always means a great deal to us when we hear somebody who has been listening to the program and being encouraged by it. It makes a big deal for us. 408-866-5607 is that phone number. Again, call us, 408-866-5607. Or visit our website and leave us an email, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. We also have past messages available, uh, an extensive library of audio that you can tap into at any time for free, right there at our website, again, reformedheritage.org. Other resource materials are available from that website as well. If you'd rather write to us, the address is Abounding Grace, PMB 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That is here in Los Gatos. The zip code is 95032. Normally, we'd invite you to join us for worship, but since we have been suspended because of the COVID-19 crisis, we invite you to visit our website instead and pick out a couple of recent messages that Pastor Gary has delivered here at Reformed Heritage Church. Again, reformedheritage.org. We'll also give you updates at that website as to when we return to normal worship. And you're always welcome to call us as well for that kind of information, 408-866-5607. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. <music> 